0: So final point, up. we got about 10 minutes here. So what's the ramifications if we don't do this? So we're Christians, we we are followers of Jesus. We say that we have placed our faith in him and our, our goal is to pursue the command of God in our life and live righteously with one another. But is there a consequence if we don't? Well, Peter quotes Psalm chapter 34. And as we've studied through this, Psalm 34 has crept up again and again. And why as a pastor, I think this is so neat is because What we do when we teach the Bible is we want to take all of the scriptures and then expound on them and show how they connect and they weave together and this just tapestry is created. It's already there. We're just kind of being used to communicate it. And what's so powerful to me is Peter's literally doing the same exact thing in the first century church as he's taking the 34th Psalm and he is revealing to these first century Christians in Turkey, here's how this Psalm 34 that was written by David as he's in exile with the Philistines, here's how it applies to you. And here's what we're doing is we're taking this, epistle this letter written to these first-century Christians in Turkey and I'm here, you know tonight saying this is how this applies to me This is how this applies to you So he's taking Psalm 34 and he's quoting uh, verses 12 through 16 The the rest of the, the verse 10 verse 11 and verse 12 is a quotation from Psalm 34 12 13 14 15 and 16 and he's using it to reinforce the truth. He's expounding to his readers So here's some connections the Psalms important for the readers because it's a psalm of David as David was living in exile among the Philistines, and we most likely think that these people that are reading Peter's letter are also living in exiles. They've been kicked out of their homes in Rome. They've been kicked out of their homes in Jerusalem, all for probably because they were following Christ. They were causing what the government deemed a ruckus, and they said, "Get out, leave what you have, leave what you own, and go to this obscure place in Asia Minor." So they would have, you know, they would have understood Peter's trying to apply that. So consider these connections both start with god's blessing psalm 34 first peter 1 the result of seeking the lord was deliverance psalm 34 first peter 1 the absence of shame for righteous for righteousness what that's supposed to say psalm 34 5 and first peter 2 6 the benefits of those that fear the lord are connected between psalm 34 and first peter 1 and first peter 2. the responsiveness of god to the suffering of the righteous so you're doing good things just because you're living right doesn't mean in this world you're going to abs- you're going to have absence from suffering. And anybody that tells you otherwise is lying to your face. Anybody that says follow Jesus and everything in your life is going to be wonderful, run as far away from that person as you possibly can. Because what they're trying to tell you is not spiritually wonderful, eternally wonderful. They're generally trying to tell you everything's going to be physically great. You're going to have lots of money. You're going to have lots of nice things. Your health's going to be great. That is not the Christian life that we are called to. And Peter is... Like rebutting that because in this culture if bad things were happening to you people assumed the fates were against you the gods were against you there was a curse against you you did something wrong and Peter's you know trying to um, help them understand that no, the whole paradigm is shifted just because you're suffering doesn't mean you aren't doing right sometimes those things come hand in hand so and he's using the 34th Psalm to show them that the responsiveness of God to the suffering of the righteous the many afflictions from which the righteous are delivered and then finally, the redemption of the servants of the Lord. So these are all just kind of quick connections. And if you want to take the time to read through them this week, I would encourage you see the correlation for yourself. But the point in quoting Psalm 34 is to show people who have been born again, that they've been born again to a new life with God. That they are called to bless when insulted and to return good for evil. Boy, I hate that. <laughs> I feel like I've been sold a bill of goods, right? That when I when I received Christ that I was called to a life of returning blessing for cursing. That's a part of who I am. And only God can transform me to become that person that he's called me to be. The command to return blessing and good for insult and evil is truly a call to a transformed character. It's a character of people who refuse to allow their enemies. This is great. If you underline anything in this lesson, it's a call to be a people who refuse to allow their enemies to define them, but who seek their definition in Christ. Every time that an insult or evil comes our way, especially if not only for because we are following Christ and because we're living out the Christian life, we can choose to allow ourselves to be defined in that person's mind by how we respond, or we can be cho- we can choose to be defined in that person's mind by being a picture of Jesus for them. And a good example of that, and I was reading this in a book, is that there was in a military barracks there was a Christian soldier who was um Who would read his bible he would pray every night before he'd go to bed and he had a bunk mate one bed over that didn't you know was fairly hostile towards that those actions that he was um engaged in so he would you know verbal abuse all those kind of things and finally one night as he's reading and as he's praying a muddy boot comes flying across his bunk you know and in that moment that soldier had a choice to make you know he could have picked up the boot Throwing it back at him, that would be rendering evil for evil. He could have just ignored it, and that would have been what? You know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. But the next level of rendering a blessing for evil was the next morning, his bunkmate found his boots cleaned, polished, sitting at the end of his bed. That's offering a blessing for evil, and then he, goes, he continues on with his testimony that that was the pinnacle moment, that was the great pivot, where his, his Christian living changed in everybody else's mind, and he ended up seeing many of those in his bunkhouse become converted because of just a simple act of not becoming enraged in the moment. And sometimes it's just the smallest thing that makes all the difference in the world. So, the question, it's a lot of questions. We'll see if we get through any of it. Is it possible to clench our teeth and do something good for someone who insulted or hurt us and still bear ill will towards them in our heart? The simple answer is, Yeah, 100%. We can absolutely do that. I would say that's conforming without transforming. Secondly, what does God say will be the result of that behavior? Look at verse 12. Yeah, the eyes of the Lord are on the who? The righteous. Those that live, like show love, that live rightly with their fellow human beings. And the ears, but more importantly, the ears are open to their what? Prayer. You want God to hear your prayers? It's a connection. It's a do this, then that. Live righteously towards your fellow believers, and God will do what? He will hear your prayers. But there's a consequence. What's the consequence? The face of the Lord, the very countenance of the Lord. Okay, if I could give an example. How many of you have ever done anything wrong and your mom looked at you? And she had a face and a countenance that was clearly obvious that what you did was something that she did not appreciate. Anybody? How many of you have perfected that face up to this point with your own kids? You're very good at that face, okay? So think about how that, or it could be your mom, could be your dad, could be a teacher, whoever. But think about that person who's just, the, the look of their countenance instilled fear in you just from the eyes, right? It's a scary thing. Now take that next level and consider whose face is against you. The Lord's face is against you because what? What you do is evil. There is a really bad outcome for this by not simply obeying what God is calling us to do. Is that God's face, almost like that Hebrews 12, that discipline of the Lord, even though it's in love, doesn't mean it's not scary. Doesn't mean it's not painful. Doesn't mean we really would like to avoid it if possible. That the face of God is against those. You know, the idea of like Beck said, that this life is not all there is. And like Beth said, we are not the judge, jury, and executioner. Who is? God is. So again, I think I could muster up enough discipline to not say something bad. I might even be able to muster up enough discipline to fake a blessing on somebody. But to genuinely offer a blessing and a prayer of goodness to God for someone who's only offered evil towards me can only be possible if I have a proper view that this life isn't all there is. In fact, there's a much greater thing to come an eternal life with God, and that these these two things are, you know, connected, but even more importantly, it's not my responsibility to offer judgment on that person. There's early Christian writings by a historian named Eusebius, who writes about, I forget which emperor, emperor it was, but he was upset as he was, you know, saying this. He was saying that the Christians take better care of our orphans and widows than the great Roman government does, and he was mad about it, but that's a testimony to what Andrew's saying, is that The gospel exploded across the known world in the first and second and third centuries without internet, without TV, without radio, without printing presses, none of it. It was only possible by these simple truths of church, be like-minded, be humble, show brotherly love, you know, um, have compassion. And most often when people rail against you, offer them up a blessing. Like you said, it's completely paradoxical to the way Naturally, people are supposed to behave. Um, So, yeah, that's great. And I would also say this is don't make this connection only to unbelievers. We are absolutely responsible to behave this way towards each other. And I think just like Andrew was saying how compelling it is for unbelievers to follow Christ. It also strengthens the church immeasurably when we behave this way towards one another. Because there isn't a chance an unbeliever is going to listen to you or even give you the opportunity if all they know about your interpersonal relationships with one another is horrible <laughs> all they hear about is what a horrible name your church has in the community or you as a person have with those people that you you know do life with whatever that means okay um, so here's bringing it all together John Piper writes this the command of verse of chapter 3 and verse 9 calls us not to a legalistic or begrudging compliance but to a confidence in the transforming power of the new birth, which allows Christians in all sincerity to speak and act towards adversaries from a heart that truly desires their blessedness. So here's where um, the rubber meets the road. As we leave this room, we live out our lives this week, is that you and I have a choice to make. Will we respond in kind out of the old nature, or will we demonstrate the power of God's grace through a radically transformed behavior? The favor of God... 1 Peter 3 and verse 12, and the souls of men, women, boys and girls, just like Andrew said, they hinge on the choice that you and I make. And it's not just one choice. It's many, 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 many choices over a lifetime of how we're going to show the transformation of what Christ has done in us.